Welcome to the Staking Insider podcast, where we explore the frontiers of staking. Today, we are speaking with Keoni, co-founder from Monad. Monad is an EVM-compatible, high-performant new layer one blockchain that is using parallel execution to achieve one-second block times, almost instant finality, and is supposedly 1,000 times faster than Ethereum. For this episode, we are diving into the basics of Monad, the roadmap over the coming months, and into the validator ecosystem and the plans around staking. Hi, Kion. How are you doing? Hey, doing well. How are you, Mirko? Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to diving a little bit into Monad. Maybe you can walk us a little bit through like your background and what led you to start Monad, and then we can take it from there. Sure thing. We started Monad at the beginning of 2022. Prior to that, I was working in the high-frequency trading space, so specifically spent the previous eight years before starting Monad at Jump Trading, which is a, a large high-frequency trader in the traditional finance space as well as in the crypto space. Most of my time was on the traditional side, mostly trading futures. I led a trading team of about 10 people building our own trading system from scratch. And... It was just a really fun experience that involved building a system from end to end and constantly re-optimizing it, profiling, identifying hotspots, and really squeezing latencies down to sub-microsecond level. Did that for a number of years, joined the crypto team at Jump in mid-2021, focused on Solana DeFi while I was there. And that experience really led me to realize that there was a huge need for more performant EVM execution. EVM is really the common standard for smart contract development, has most of the developers, has most of the capital on chain. I believe 97% of all TVL and crypto is in EVM applications right now. And also almost all the applied cryptography research is being done in the context of EVM as well. You know, people don't think about the, the research mode, but that's a significant one as well. So there is this huge network effect around EVM, but the actual execution system for executing this, there were a lot of opportunities to optimize it. So ended up leaving Jump and then starting Monad along with two other co-founders, one of whom is my coworker, James, who I've been working with since 2014. And the other is Eunice, who has a fintech product management background. And together started Monad at the beginning of 22 and have just been building over the past two years. Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. So you actually started trading on Solana and kind of, yeah, that, that was great because of the high performance of Solana, but then kind of fed up with like it not being an EVM. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Solana as well. I think that, yeah, the 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 team at, at Solana Labs has done a great job of building completely new technology from scratch and, and constantly pushing in terms of introducing new optimizations or new features. It's definitely one to watch. You know, Monad being being a much earlier stage project has has a lot to to learn from Solana and the Solana community. But I I mean it's also just true that there's a huge need for EVM performance and the only way to do that is by rebuilding the execution stack from the ground up to identify bottlenecks and, and address those bottlenecks. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And is that also like how you personally got into crypto, other than from like the 
kind of trading background or what's your journey into crypto? Our trading team, which is a traditional high frequency trading team operating in a number of different traditional markets, started getting involved in, in the crypto trading space in 2020. So kind of during, during DeFi summer, when everything was popping off, um, you know, we were looking at crypto markets and making predictions. Um, I think that was a good sort of initial foray into the crypto space. And I feel like it somewhat mirrors a lot of people's journey where they're initially interested in crypto because um, it's just an asset class with high volatility and a lot of excitement. And, you know, maybe they find their way into crypto first by learning about Bitcoin and then learning about Ethereum and then just learning about the broader space of smart contract platforms and decentralized applications. Awesome. So that was also be before Solana times even, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it was certainly before Solana was like well known and 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 from our perspective initially it was just like you know, a instrument trading instrument with a bunch of derivatives on it, but over time then the the understanding of it evolved. Awesome. Yeah, I I think this is super exciting and to me when I look at Monad, I kind of see it as like you are taking the best from like the Solana world. You have like kind of high like high frequency stuff with like kind of validators that performing a lot of work and have like high requirements as well. And also like the, the best from the L2 world, just taking the EVM and on the third side, taking the best from like Aptos and Sui with like parallel execution as well. Would you say that's a, that's a right analogy kind of, or. Yeah, I agree with, with a lot of what you said. Monad is definitely a fusion of different themes that you see in other other blockchains as well. I think one thing I'd push back on is that the hardware requirements for Monad are intended to be to be minimal, like very close to the Ethereum hardware requirements. In Monad, the validator nodes require 32 gigs of RAM versus 16 for uh, Ethereum, but it's still pretty close. And the reason for this low memory like RAM requirement is because in Monad with the software that our team has built, we're utilizing SSDs much more efficiently through this component that we've built called Monad DB, which is a custom database for storing Merkle, Ethereum Merkle tree data. So rather than having really high RAM requirements to try to keep most of the state in memory, instead we're just utilizing the SSD much more efficiently. So I think in general, you know, every system designer should be taking some reasonable set of requirements and then trying to get as extract as much performance out of it as possible. And that's really been our approach, but extracting the performance through better software, algorithmic improvements. Awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it, it is going to be much, much easier to run a validator on Monet compared to Solana then. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. That's interesting. Cool. And yeah, I think we can dive into like the, the validator ecosystem in Monad in a little bit as well. But before that, maybe just curious on like, where do you see like the, the kind of the prime use cases for Monad? Because obviously like you come from the trading background and probably you see like, okay, high frequency, like trading DEXs and so on being deployed on mm -hmm. Monad. And is that kind of the strategy that you're taking and where you see like the, the best kind of fit for Monad? kind of for those types of applications or is there anything else that you have in mind? Yeah. 
It's definitely one key component of the early Monad ecosystem. I think at the end of the day, high fidelity finance, basically getting these tools that people are using for personal finance to be as close to or better than the experience that they're having on centralized platforms is crucial to allowing decentralized apps to take over the world. Like decentralized apps offer certain really significant benefits over their centralized counterparts. In my opinion, those are self-custody, self-sovereignty, composability, and censorship resistance. So those are all reasons why decentralized apps are better than their centralized counterparts. But if, you know, if we're making a kind of like a pros and cons table on the whiteboard and there's a big con on the other side, which is that they're much more expensive to use, then um, it's going to be hard for them to really get mass adoption. So with Monad, and I maybe should back up for a second and, and just mention, so Monad is really high throughput, fully bytecode EVM compatible layer one, offering over 10,000 transactions per second of throughput with one second block times and single slot finality. So with over 10,000 TPS of throughput, the result is that transactions are much more plentiful and also much, much cheaper. So for reference, a Uniswap V2 swap on Ethereum costs on the order of five to $50, depending on what's going on on, on Ethereum mainnet at any moment in time. On L2s, that same kind of transaction, like the same complexity costs somewhere between 10 cents and a dollar on major L2s right now. And we expect that that same complexity of transaction will cost a fraction of a cent on Monad. So getting the cost down, you know, not only from the Ethereum level to the Ethereum L2 level, but then way below that as well is really crucial to allowing personal finance experiences on decentralized apps to be close to or better than their centralized counterparts. For example, in the trading side, which you mentioned, you know, there's very few fully on-chain limit order books right now. And the reason for that is that a market maker would constantly be updating their quotes as fair value changes on an order book. And if every single one of those updates costs 10 cents, it's not going to work because you're going to send thousands or tens of thousands of such updates to the market on a given day. So getting that cost down to fractions of a cent for each of those updates is necessary in order to have good liquidity on those order books. That's just one specific example. I'll just mention one other thing. Like if you imagine you're, that you're playing RuneScape or some other, uh, whatever game you want, but I'll just say RuneScape. And so you're picking up items and every time you pick up an item, that's a transaction. Like we can't have it be that that transaction is 10 cents because you're playing the game for an hour. You might pick up 50 items. So that can't cost $5 to like do that. No, people would, that'd be just too much. So really need to get the cost down to fractions of a cent so that, you know, you pick up 50 items and then it costs like five cents over the course of an hour to do that. Then it's, that's something where the numbers actually make sense. Awesome. And I guess you can only achieve that by being a layer one and really like optimizing heavily on like the, the validator consensus level already, basically. And yeah, I think that everything is just about basically looking at existing workloads and 
looking at where the hotspots are and then getting, you know, reducing the amount of time spent on those hotspots until you get to the point where you, you know, this system can process thousands of transactions per second. Everything is, is just driven by metrics. Awesome. Yeah. And then how do you see like this, this playing out? Because obviously like it's, I, I think it's great. And we, we saw it like Ethereum is getting expensive. It was like at some point almost unusable for like retail at least. And then mm -hmm. I guess it was like in, in the last like 2022 or something. And then like a lot of kind of yeah happenings shifted to like BSC and the other EVM chains. And that was obviously quite seamless because the dApps could just be like migrated because it is EVM and How do you see that? Like when Monet launches, I guess you have a, a mainnet planned for like later this year sometime. Do you think there will be a point where Ethereum dApps will just migrate to Monet? And like, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, yeah I think that for, for any blockchain, the ultimate job is really just to be a developer platform and to empower and enable developers to build ambitious apps that cross the chasm to mainstream adoption. That's ultimately like the, the goal, that's the job. So from that perspective, when you ask about, you know, the mainnet launch and yeah, like what we're targeting or, or what our team cares about, it's really, we just care about providing this environment where developers can build really successful apps and Alongside that, you know, for me personally, I'm going to be spending a lot of my time this year just supporting early stage builders, providing, you know, whatever advice or, or learnings that, that I've learned from the past two years of being a founder and just trying to be there to, to help builders. Because I think at the end of the day, what the space really needs is just, you know, the existing apps to be more successful in crossing the chasm and bringing on more users and also, you know, supporting completely new efforts that are building new ambitious experiences for users. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important, like building the developer ecosystem. So that's also going to be a focus of your, like getting projects to build natively on Monet first, instead of just trying to get projects to migrate from Ethereum or other EVMs. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah, I think that, I mean, both are, both are possible and both are focuses, you know, it just depends on the specific, specific circumstance, but yeah, the, at the end of the day, the, the goal is that Monad is a new environment with much cheaper fees, much more plentiful transactions could benefit both new and existing usages. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And then, so for the, like for all the, the role of validators in the Monad ecosystem. Maybe you can give like mm -hmm. a quick intro there, like how many validators will be there? What are the, the stake requirements? It will be like delegation mechanism. Are there any bonding requirements? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. So I guess a couple of things to mention. Monad is a fully decentralized network with support for full geographic decentralization. It, pains me to say that that to like call that out as a distinguishing factor because i think that that's how all networks should be but in practice what we've seen is that you know some recent layer one launches basically have all the validators in one geographic region mm -hmm. and 
the motivation for that is that it allows the blockchain to then set parameters that are more aggressive from a block time perspective, like lower block times, faster time to finality, but it's all just a parameter optimization. It's not like a technological optimization. And it's really bad because if, you know, different blockchains are, are competing on metrics, but it's possible to, to like affect the metrics substantially just by requiring it, you know, a geographical distribution that, you know, allows for better looking metrics just from where the validators are located, then it becomes very misleading to anyone who's trying to evaluate the technology on the merits of the technology, which I think is how users and developers and so on are thinking about where they go. So, you know, that's just the first thing to call out. Monad has support for full geographic decentralization. Like not all the stake weight will be in one place. Monad has support for about 200 validators participating in consensus at mainnet. So meaning 200 validators that are proposing blocks and voting, and then we'll continue to roll out improvements that increase the, the node, the val the count of nodes that are participating in consensus, ultimately to push that, that number up and to push the Nakamoto coefficient up. Uh, but then beyond that, anyone can run a full node. So anyone can um, run a node that's listening to all the transactions, executing everything, validating everything and maintaining the full state. So there's not a d restriction on the total number of uh, full nodes in the system. Cool. And then, so the geographic distribution, like how, how are you achieving this or like what, what's, what's unique? Distribution. How, how does that work? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Monad consensus uses something we call Monad BFT which is a derivative of hot stuff. Hot stuff is a consensus mechanism with linear communication complexity. And the way that hot stuff works is there's a rotating leader system similar to most other blockchains. So the leader for a particular round messages out a block proposal to all the other validating nodes, all the other nodes that are participating in consensus. So it's kind of like a fan out process to send directly to all these other nodes. And then all these other nodes send their votes fanning in to the next leader, who then aggregates those votes and produces something called a quorum certificate, which is then proof of all of that all of the other nodes in the system received it and think that it's valid. And then that quorum certificate is propagated to all of the nodes again, so that all the other nodes now know that each other agreed that this was a valid block. And so through multiple stages of this communication process, the nodes are able to come to consensus about that block being valid and thus being enshrined in, in the history of the blockchain. So hot stuff is a single slot finality algorithm, meaning there's no possibility for forks once um, two thirds of the stake weight has agreed upon a block, then that block is officially enshrined in the history, um, can't be rolled back. So that's, you know, another great property of hot stuff in general. And then with Monad BFT, we've introduced additional improvements such as moving the number of phases of consensus from three to two, which I won't get into like how that's possible, but it's, it's related to 
basically a safety mechanism in the event that the nodes are not able to come to consensus about a block and need to fall back. And in the safety mechanism, there's some communication that then allows them to fall back to a checkpoint that's safe. That allows the algorithm to move from three phases to two. And then additionally, there's pipelining in this process so that the quorum certificate, which is the aggregation of all those votes for the, for one block can actually piggyback on top of the block proposal for the next block. So there's much, there's sort of like the communication is cut in half over all these optimizations, as well as other research improvements that the Monad team has made here, ultimately allow this fully geographically decentralized consensus with hundreds of nodes participating. All right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that makes sense. And then, but you still have like one second block time, right? So does it mean like that basically, what is it? 66% of all validators have to always attest to like every second, every block, right? That's right. Awesome. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense like to get to the, the highest throughput. And then in terms of like the onboarding, the validator set, I think you are also planning to have some sort of like foundation delegation program or anything like that? And what are your plans around onboarding validators specifically? Yeah, our plans are, are still in flux, but we'll be sure to share updates as soon as we can. But I think you can expect that it'll be similar to, to industry practice in, in terms of delegation and so on. Awesome. And is there going to be like a, a lockup period for stake? And I'm just trying to, to see like, if there's also like a liquid staking ecosystem coming from Monat and yeah. Mm. Yeah. All very good questions. Unfortunately, can't comment on it right at this moment, but yeah, I think we, you know, we'll be following sort of industry practice in terms of the, the mechanics of, of staking. Awesome. Yeah. But it's also not clear yet how long like the, the withdrawal period would be. Yeah. What are stake. your, what are your opinions on that? I know a lot of the Cosmos chains have like a 21 day cool off period, which is pretty long. Solana has like, you know, to the next epoch, which is up to three days. Is that is longer, better or shorter, better? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. You have like very short ones, like in Solana and then long ones, like in Cosmos and Polkadot. I, I, I think the long ones are unnecessary and they just kind of decrease the user experience. But then also if you have a good liquid staking ecosystem, that's obviously great. And then one of the solutions is obviously, yeah, why don't you just kind of enshrine liquid staking from the start? Like some others have, I think that's probably the best, like. Tezos and Cardano, for example, have already been doing that for a long time. And I know Phantom has as well. And Ethereum is talking about it now. And I guess it's just what the market mm -hmm. wants, right? You can see it clearly <laughs> that mm -hmm. people want liquid staking. Um, why not just kind of have a, a kind of a fair protocol level implementation of it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. I mean, I think with Ethereum, the original objective, and I'm paraphrasing, phrasing or like, you know, don't trust me as authority because I'm not part of the EF, but it seems that the focus is very heavily on solo staking and just encouraging everyone to run their own nodes, which is definitely a very worthy cause. And I think the reason for not having in protocol delegation was to kind of force people to run their own nodes, but then you know, in practice, like so many people 
are lazy and don't want to run their own nodes. Therefore, we'll end up effectively delegating like out of protocol in something like Lido. And then, so then we have right. this. The, the thing is people are not, not running nodes themselves yeah. because they are forced to. It's more like because they want to. And I, I think that's what's great about Ethereum. It has such a thriving, like enthusiastic community of people wanting to contribute and wanting to run nodes and so on. And that's the main reason why there are so many great solo stakers and so on, which is very unique. And obviously it's a, it's a huge contributing factor, but I don't think that like that it's forced kind of is the reason why there are so many. That's fair. Yeah. The culture is a, a huge thing, but then, I mean, with, with most other blockchains, there's a kind of a limitation on the number of nodes that could participate in consensus anyway. So then the solo staking thing doesn't really become a, a consideration because even if you wanted to solo stake, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't be able to like an Aptos or Sui or something. True. Yeah. 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 I think the the key is to, and I guess that's one of the biggest challenges for, for layer ones in general is to find quantitative metrics to really incentivize mm -hmm. decentralization. And I, I guess that's just really hard, but there, there should be a way ultimately that like solo stakers can earn a higher yield than kind of professional mm -hmm. stakers in a sense, because then it would really, it would be like, like crypto is all about incentivization, right? So if the, if the blockchain wants decentralization, they, they should like incentivize it somehow. But I understand this is, this is hard to measure, but I mean, we just need to have new protocols airdrop on solo stakers. Yeah, if that's a way, but then how, how do you identify which nodes are solo stakers and which ones not? Because every professional stake or like every professional stake, they can just pretend to be a solo staker then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the professional stakers would also get the, that, but it would just be like a very small amount relative to the amount that's being staked. So, you know, if there's like 8,000 solo stakers and 1,000 professionals, then, you know, most of the airdrop would still go to the solo stakers, you know, right. I was, yeah. I was kind of joking, but, but also like, it just, it does seem <laughs> that this market gets really excited about like the possibility of airdrops. So if we want, as you were saying, like runs on incentives, like if you want people to behave in a certain way, then just need to like get a little bit of hype around the possibility of that. True. Yeah. Whereas airdrops are like a, a one-off incentive. Yeah. That's always, yeah. Sometimes you, you get an audience that maybe you don't want actually in the, in the long term. Oh, oh, sure. That's true. If you have a lot of people who are only solo staking because they want that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, but it's great. I, I, yeah, I love that you're thinking about this and it seems like there's, there's still like kind of stuff to be decided at mm -hmm. Monad, but you do have a, a test net already, right? Everything is just internal right now, but we'll be sharing public details about our DevNet, what we, what we call the internal version of testnet is DevNet pretty shortly. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. And for anyone listening, like how can they, how, how can they get involved? How can they contribute either as a developer or like as a validator or like, is there anything else that you are, that you're looking for right now? Yeah, I guess the, the main thing is, you know, just to stay tuned, but we have a thriving community. 
would definitely recommend hopping in our discord and we're they we're here in the discord to answer questions about what we're building and and also about how our team can help either validators or developers who are looking to build awesome cool yeah exciting and mainnet is scheduled for q3 or targeted for q3 we're we're targeting q4 of this year all right cool cool yeah exciting i mean it's a it's a huge undertaking building a layer one and, and getting it off the ground but it's cool i think I'm, i'm really excited for for your launch and everything in between so yeah thanks for being on the show and really looking forward to the coming months awesome yeah thanks so much for having me thanks kioni